Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, uh, privilege of moderating these podcasts, and we are starting a new series today called Tell Us a Story. We're listening to several of our Lord's parables later in Matthew's Gospel. You can read more about the series and find ways to invite people to it on the foundation resources at wellscongregationalservices.net. Uh, just a reminder, as we begin a new series of what the rationale for the preacher podcast is. I just heard from a young pastor who has been listening to them, and he reports that if he listens to the podcast after he's done his own text study, uh, he finds them more helpful than if he listens to the podcast first and then does his own text study. And really, that is in line with uh, kind of what we intend for these podcasts. They're not to replace a preacher's own text study, digging into the word on your own. Um, that is still up to you using the, the tools that you've been equipped with. Um, but then after the text study, as you're trying to sort through how to preach this text, uh, hitting points of law and gospel, appropriation, application, zeroing in on a clear purpose for the sermon, hopefully our conversation here will help as you uh, sort through those details and start to put together the sermon itself. So I encourage you to do your text study thoroughly and then tune in. Of course, you're willing to listen uh, anytime that works for you, though. But let's get going then with today's episode. Our preachers for this series, let's meet them. Uh, we have with us for this Tell Us a Story series, Pastor Jay Zahn from Trinity Lutheran Church in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and Pastor Jonathan Quinn from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. Also with us today is Professor Aaron Christie from the seminary. So thank you all for serving for this series. Uh, Jonathan Quinn, Proper 20 in Year A. That's the Sunday we're discussing today. What is the main thought you want worshipers to consider this Sunday, the first Sunday in our new Tell Us a Story series? Yeah, thanks, John. The, this Tell Us the Story series, of course, is, as you mentioned, all about Jesus' parables. And so we learn that that kind of handy definition of a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, revealing some sort of spiritual truth. And so since we're beginning this series on Jesus' parables, we know parables teach us something about our God, what he's like, um, how things work in his kingdom. We think of parables starting the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like. And what we find out is that things don't always work the way we think they should in God's kingdom. In fact, oftentimes it's just the opposite of the way we think things should work. And that's certainly the case this week. Uh, we all have this sort of ingrained or hardwired sense of justice, of what we think is right, of what we think is fair. And in life that often leads us uh, to make comparisons, to compare situations, to compare our situation with others, and then make judgments about what is fair and not fair. Um, and as the foundation materials demonstrate, from little on, people are obsessed with this. And, and when we think that we're getting a raw deal, when we think something is not fair, when we're not getting what we deserve, or someone else is getting what they do not deserve, watch out, because then we're on the war path. And so when we see uh, that God doesn't operate according to our concept of fairness or our idea of justice, 
It can be confusing and confounding to us. It perplexes us. Um, it even offends us. And so those the words from, from God that are before us this Sunday, they contain really a warning for all of us and for our natural fallen way of looking at things. Um, they lead us to question our unhealthy sense and standard of justice. But when the truth of the word of God before us this week really hits home and sinks in, we find this incredible comfort in the way that God does things, even if it's perplexing to us at first, uh, because that truth is this, the operating principle in God's kingdom is grace. Uh, it's generosity. And that's a beautiful truth uh, with far reaching implications for how we live our lives, for how we look at ourselves and how we look at others, um, how we're gonna spend our time here now and, and how we'll spend all of eternity. Yeah, thanks for that helpful summary. Um, let's, before we get into the gospel, and you've kind of hinted, John, at what that is going to be and the truth that it's going to put before us, before we get to that as our sermon text today, uh, Jay Zahn, let's turn to you. Could you just remind us of what the first and second readings are today and kind of how the readings connect with each other? Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, first reading is from the prophet Jonah's book chapter 3, verse 10 through 4, verse 11, and kind of an interesting connection. I think it's uh, Jonah was um, not perplexed by God's grace, uh, you know, that God was going to be gracious to the people. He was actually angered by it, uh, the idea that God would, would show mercy and grace to a people that were a national enemy of the Israelites, uh, that, that uh, he would be called to go and preach repentance to a people that, in his estimation, didn't deserve the opportunity is something that really, really got under his skin. So he was there, but he wasn't, he was there physically, but he wasn't really there in spirit. And God uses a, a vine that gives him shade from the hot Eastern sun, then causes it to, to shrivel and really brings those, those uh, heart attitudes to the surface and, and confronts them in Jonah. The, uh, and, and ties it then back to God's uh, connection to the, the people, even the animals of, of uh, Nineveh and and how much he cares deeply for them and wants to to see their their rescue from uh, from unbelief and and from where their unbelief is taking them. The second reading is in uh, recorded in Romans chapter nine, and and connects with uh, uh, maybe one of the more perplexing doctrines of Scripture, the doctrine of election. Perplexing because it is independent of us what what we do or don't do, and um, the the idea that that God would um, choose some of us is one that has caused many people heartburn. Uh, why some, not others? But if you really dig down deep, the question is why God would choose any at all. Uh, that that if if God's going to be fair, he should he should hate us all. That he would choose any of us is a is a uh, a reminder of of the gracious heart that he has, the the perplexingly generous attitude that he has toward humanity. That he would. He would choose some to be uh, those that that would spend eternity with him, and so uh, that the tie together is the the uh, the generosity of God that He would reach out to a people like the Ninevites, who, from human perspective, uh, don't deserve it, and then in Romans that that God would choose any of us who, uh, from a spiritual standpoint, deserve none of that from Him, uh, is the connection then back to the gospel. Right. So God redefining fairness are all kind of turning upside down some of our ideas related to that but uh 
because of his grace and his generosity that he wants to predominate. Well, let's then get to our sermon text, Matthew 20, uh, 1 to 16. Aaron Christie, could you share a few thoughts about this parable to get our discussion going? Yeah, thanks, John. I, I guess I'd start today by putting the parable uh, in its context of the church year. Last Sunday, uh, we had looked at Matthew 18, and there you've got the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, that servant is forgiven 10,000 bags of gold, and an exorbitant debt he couldn't even begin to dream to repay. He then goes out and finds another servant who owes him 100 uh, denarii, a, a sizable sum to be sure, but a debt certainly that could be paid. Uh, he didn't have mercy. Uh, that lesson last week, that reading last week from Matthew 18, was all on, on God's mercy. And I think it's important for this reading before us today in Matthew 20 to remember that mercy and grace are not the same thing. Uh, mercy that operates in Matthew 18 is a love that looks to the object uh, and then fills a need. Uh, forgiving a debt that could never be repaid, the man has mercy upon him. Uh, you have mercy upon a hungry man by filling his need with bread, etc. That's why in the prayer of the church we always say, Lord, have mercy. Fill, fill our need with, with your good things. Mercy is, is different than grace. Mercy uh, seeks the object, has a reason for loving in the object, whereas is grace is, is totally and completely within the, uh, the heart of the subject, of the one who's doing the love. Um, then coming in a little bit further, taking a, a look at the very, very beginning of Matthew chapter 20, right there in verse 1, the first two words, Hamoya gar, uh, those gars are, are very important. So that gar says we should be looking at what just came before, and what came before is a rich man uh, who was not willing to give up his money for the poor, and, and it turns out that it's easier for a dromedary camel to cram itself through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Peter and the disciples are listening to this, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Peter says, voila, Lord, we've left everything uh, to follow you. Uh, what then is there going to be for us? And then Jesus makes a, a fantastic promise, uh, that picture of the disciples sitting on 12 thrones judging Israel. Uh, you can almost... Uh, Peter not wanting it, but Peter's head beginning to swell, and then Jesus taps down on his enthusiasm just a bit by reminding him in verse 30 of chapter 19 that the first will be last and the last will be first. Lo and behold, the mirror image of that comes up again at the end of today's lesson, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, uh, where we hear about the last being first and the first being last. In other words, uh, our section of scripture today is, is bookended uh, by Jesus leveling the playing field. And what is it that completely and utterly levels the playing field in the kingdom of God? Uh, it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that in pure generosity uh, sees each man and acts in the saving interest of each man uh, exactly the same. Um, the issue fares come up a couple times. I guess I'd... I'd begin the conversation a little bit too of saying there is no issue of fairness whatsoever when it comes to the grace of God within the heart of God. 
uh, that the issues or allegations of unfair uh, only come up when we begin to take our eyes off of God, who is gracious to us in Christ, and begin to cast our gaze around to others, and then begin weighing the merits and the balance compared to us. And then all of a sudden we begin having issues with fairness. Right. So, yeah, uh, us as we measure up against other people, you kind of see that uh, at the end of the parable, right? Those who are keeping score, those who are keeping track, those who are making comparisons. Um, whereas Jesus says, yeah, think of the generosity of the one in charge um, and let that dominate your thoughts. Well, let's uh, talk kind of about the some of the preaching values of the text, um, how we're going to go about treating it in a sermon. Um, just points of law and gospel. Um, what do you see kind of as a, a law thought or a malady uh, in this text? John? I think one thing that, uh, that Aaron mentioned with the context, so important with the discussion with the the rich young man, and then Peter's response and sort of tamping down on Peter's response. It's really a parable that's told in some ways um, to address Christians, to address believers who have an unhealthy sense of, of justice or fairness as they look out at, at, at other people um, and, and really calls into question, you know, makes us think what is just and what is fair and helps us to realize that when we're looking inside at ourselves or outside at others and not focusing on God, that our, our, our justice system, personal justice system is really messed up. It's curved inward. So it's not going to be accurate. It's not going to understand the grace of God. And I think that then we could point out many different ways how that, that malady or that, that law speaks against us in our day-to-day lives. Hmm. Aaron? I think it's easy to sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, and, and we, we love to sing that hymn, but boy, that truth really kind of brutalizes us a little bit, uh, that we were saved by grace alone, but that my merit doesn't come into the picture, no seriously, really, Boy, that's that's one that the sinful flesh just doesn't want to embrace that truth and will not un, until the day we go to to be with Jesus to enjoy his his amazing grace above. We we even within the kingdom with best intentions, we we just always love to do the comparison game. It's hardwired into the sinful nature. I remember when I I preached on this text probably I think it was 5 years ago, 6 years ago now. Uh, beginning with the illustration of you've got an Adam, you've got an Abraham, you've got a Paul, you've got a thief on the cross. So Adam follows the Lord's promise of the head crusher for nine centuries. Uh, Abraham following the, the bare voice of God's promise for a quarter century. Uh, Paul, after his conversion, dedicates, okay, a couple decades to the Lord's service. And a thief on the cross on Good Friday afternoon, all he does is tell his partner in crime to shush up and ask Jesus to remember him. And at the great uh, payday above, uh, they all receive exactly the same denarius. Uh, and we would say, good for you, thief on the cross, but that's not so easy uh, when we're caught up in the middle of our daily service and kind of like a little recognition for it every now and then. But grace doesn't work that way. Right, right. Jay? 
there's a relational thing here too that that uh, you know if you if you run your relationships based on fairness and justice there's a there's a piece to that that makes some sense but it only goes so far uh, and when you're constantly keeping track what you end up focusing in on is the wrongs done or the slights done and uh and and it's hard to appreciate the other person it's hard to um to to draw into a adaptive relationship that i think um uh, when you talk about the the lord and his connection to us we spend all of our time in, in comparison that there's an old saying uh, comparison is the thief of joy and i i wonder to what degree that that kind of plays itself out here too to mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't help but think of um the, the the old 80 20 rule 20 percent of the the people in the congregation do 80 percent of the work or 20 percent of the congregation gives 80 percent of the offerings and that doesn't always come from it's done but it doesn't always come with the joyful spirit behind it that i get to do this but why is it that only 20 percent of us are doing this mm -hmm. and they do it but it, you lose something in the midst of that as well and I, I wonder if it speaks maybe to the aged christian or the mature christian in that regard yeah and I think uh, this is uh, an ages-old problem, right? I mean, it goes back to the sinful flesh. You, you, maybe preachers want to just, you'd have to be judicious about it. Harken back to Jonah and the first reading here, too. Hey, isn't it wonderful? This whole evil, terrible, wicked city going to get forgiven. Uh, don't you love that, Jonah? And Jonah's like, no, that's not right. Um now me, sure. I mean, I, I I work hard for the Lord, except for the trying to you know run away from Him three days in the belly of the fish thing. But you know, I'm a good guy, and uh, Nineveh, forgiven, makes no sense. And I think it's just that comparison game, the the, the stealing Jonah's joy literally that day as he watches uh, Nineveh not get destroyed. Um, right. So that might be a great way to. Uh, illustrate that. And Jay, I like your idea too, just the practical applications of how we see this in our lives, that when we compare ourselves to one another, uh, good things do not typically come of this, um, you know, but a lot of frustration and, and anger. Um, it occurs to me too, this is kind of a recurring character, isn't it? In Jesus' parables uh, at the end here, the guys who are upset, they're not paid uh, this, they're not paid more than the 11th hour workers. Um, reminds me of the older brother in the prodigal son story, right? And other times this pops up too. But um, let's get to your your comments uh, to these points as well. Uh, let's see, uh, Aaron? I was going to say, you you mentioned quickly the, the man who takes issue with grace at the end of this parable. Uh, that hetero word there is only used three times in the Gospel of Matthew. And every time it's used of someone who finds themselves on the wrong side or taking issue with God's gracious working, it's it's here. It's in Matthew 22 of the man that gets thrown out of the wedding banquet because he doesn't want to wear his wedding clothes. And most famously, it's used of Judas in the garden. Ah, uh, uh, right. Uh, John? Just thinking of that attitude, too, a couple of things that the other brothers, the other brothers said that whole idea of comparison, we love grace, as it was mentioned before, when it applies to us and how often in practice then do we actually slip into that same sort of self-righteousness? Because we, we look at Nineveh and we're little Jonahs and we look at Nineveh around us and we say, how often does it creep into our hearts, this sense of justice? Like I, I want the world, the sinful world to get what it deserves. 
because I see it as so sinful and I want God to bring justice on them. And I forget about what that would mean for me because finally there's, there's ultimately, there's ultimately no difference. And so when I, I, there's a little Jonah in all of us, there's a little guy at the end of the parable in all of us who says, this isn't fair. Look at how hard I, I worked for you. And, and then we say, okay, if we really want to work by a standard of justice, um, if we really want to put ourselves in that law relationship with God, what does Paul write to the Galatians? You've alienated yourself from Christ. And so it, it, we either are dis- if we despise grace in the lives of others, we're really despising it in our own lives too. And, and, and if we do that, then Jesus' parable says, be careful because the people who, who might think they're in the first, yeah. it could be last. And what does it mean to be last? And, and the people who recognize they really need grace, it, they're going to be, they're going to be first because they'll, they'll value it. So there's a danger for um, sort of thinking that uh, we had anything to do with going to work in the vineyard in the first place. Like that had anything to do with us getting called. And then there's the danger once we're in it to think that, okay, this is, this is all about us and sort of look down on, on others too and say, now look at how hard I've worked in the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. Jay. To that point, I think it's kind of interesting. The, the uh, workers that were there with him all day, they agreed to what, I mean, the terms of the employment, if you will, were agreed to, and they were excited to work for that amount when they, they came on the payroll, uh, because it, my understanding is that that amount was very generous, that, that yeah, they put in a full day's work, but what they were getting in return was was above and beyond what was typical for, for that amount of work. So they were totally satisfied with it until they, they saw that everybody else got the same, which, um, which is kind of sad because the joy that they had to begin the work is not a joy that they, that they ended the work with, even though they were, they were being treated uh, very generously themselves. Yeah. Aaron. <clears throat> and notice, notice uh, how the characters of the parable are acting. What are they doing uh, before the gracious choice of them for the vineyard comes, standing around doing nothing, <laughs> standing around, standing around, standing around, standing around doing nothing. Um, Jesus, obviously, uh, uh, the ultimate artist, is very artful in the way he tells this. So if you think there's any any merit in us, our, our unlimited ability to stand around and do nothing minus the grace of God in our life is, is very surprising uh, and, and wonderfully portrayed in this parable. Yeah, there's even uh, that line, uh, you know, well, why are you still standing here? Well, no one has hired us. So, you know, they're pushing the blame up on somebody else. Uh, well, it's not our fault that we're just standing here. John? Yeah, and I'd add to that, that what a great thought, because when they asked that quite, well, nobody hired us. What was this landowner doing? He's coming back over and yeah, over right. and over and over again. It wasn't because nobody hired us. <laughs> There's echoes of Adam uh, in Eve in the garden there. The woman you put here with me, she just always, even when God is at his most gracious, we make it his fault. Right, right. Um, What about then responding with the gospel? I mean, there's the generosity of the landowner. How do you frame the gospel then, addressing that malady in terms of the the text? Ideas for preachers there, how are you going to go about it? Jay? Thought um, is 
knowing your audience, I, I, I mentioned earlier the idea of the mature Christian and, and you know, what which batch of workers do you kind of associate yourself with? And, and I wonder um, if there's maybe a helpful preaching value in saying at, at some level, we're, we're all kind of the 11th hour workers in the sense that if you want to kind of bring the grace of God out in big fashion, the, the thought that struck me most was the the ones who are there all day are the ones who are stuck on the unfairness of it. The ones who are there at the 11th hour are maybe stuck on the unfairness of it all too, but in a different sort of way. They'll never forget how good the master was to them. And if we can find our hearts in that place, then, then we're walking mm -hmm. away with the right kind of attitude. Yeah. So identifying with the 11th hour workers and just being wowed by the generosity. John? I think a great way, if, if we're working on that whole faulty concept of justice or fairness that we have as we look at the way things work, a great way to bring it to the gospel is what's truly the most unjust or unfair event in mm -hmm. history? Mm -hmm. And you look at the cross and you see the perfect son of God hanging there and you have to say, that's not fair. Here's the son. Here's the worker who went to work in the vineyard. He was there early. He worked all day. His, his work was flawless. And at the end of the day, he gets paid. Well, he gets the wages of sin, even though he has no sin in himself. That, and you, you have to look at that and say, say that should be us. Um, but it's not. Here's this. Here's God being unfair to Jesus, and it's the greatest act of justice, truly, because it's where God's love and justice meet mm -hmm. um, at the cross. Um, he doesn't count our sins against us, even even saying God's unfair, think He's unfair, operating that way, like we want to be in this workspace relationship. And He counts all those sins against Jesus, and makes the one who has no sin to be sin for us, so that we truly become the righteousness of of God. Um, and we see him, we see that's what he's done. That's what he did in Nineveh. And in that, that Romans passage, there's that reference to God's conversation with Moses after the golden calf. And what does he say? I'll be merciful and I'll be compassionate. Do I want to be compassionate? He'd say, there's no reason he should do that. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. And right. God says, I'm not fair. I'm yeah. gracious, I'm generous yeah. with that grace. Great. Aaron? When I preached on this a few years back, the the words of the thief on the cross really hit me. Uh, we're, we're getting what our deeds deserve. This one's done nothing wrong, which kind of led me then to poke around a little bit um, on the rhetoric of the text a little bit. I, I think, I hope you brothers wouldn't accuse me of allegory. Uh, Prof Deutschlander once said you accuse guys of allegory when you don't like them. Um, but I, I, I really love how the hours play out in Jesus' life, his sacrifice on Good Friday. Here you've got the, the first, third, sixth, ninth, eleventh hour. Uh, it tracks wonderfully well. Jesus before Pilate at the, at the dawn of that day. Third hour on the cross, sixth hour, the sun stops to sh stop shining. Um, ninth hour, he gives up his spirit. The end of the day, he's... He's buried, identifying even with us in, in our death, uh, that, that Jesus truly went to work uh, on the world of active obedience. Uh, and then why did Jesus really go to work with uh, for us each and every day of that Friday that we call gracious and good? Yeah, yeah. Jay? This isn't allegorical, but uh, maybe apocryphal. Uh, the 
the story is told, whether it's uh, a real story or not, I think the, the point still holds. Uh, pastor was visiting a member of his in the hospital. She was getting ready to go in for surgery, and she couldn't stop lamenting how this was completely unfair. She didn't deserve uh, whatever affliction she had and the pain of the surgery and then the pain of the recovery. And he was there to bring a gospel word to her, but he had to begin with, um, as she as she kept up with the with the uh, lament, he said, you're absolutely right. Uh, if God were going to be fair to you, uh, this would be the best you'd get from him. Uh, what you deserve is that the doorway would lead to the pits of hell, which isn't your typical hospital call, I don't think. But uh, <laughs> as the story goes, it snapped her out of it. And, and instead of focusing on the pain, which was and the the recovery process that was in front of her, she started to focus on what God is truly like. And and there's something in in this story I think that that squares with that too. Are you going to focus? What, what do you focus on? Because what you focus on is what expands in your in your heart and in your attention. And if you focus, you know, if you're if you identify with the the day long workers, you can focus on all you did. But really a better focus point would be that you were hired and you were hired for a generous amount and that when it was time to pay, you were paid readily and quickly and, and, and with, a, uh, with a glad spirit from the benefactor. And, and that changes the way you approach the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Focusing our eyes on the generous giver, uh, John. In connection with that generosity and something both Aaron and Jay just said with the hours and, you know, what does this reveal about God? If he's the, if he's the owner of the vineyard, um, we mentioned before the guy said, well, nobody hired us and he doesn't bust their chops. He just says, go work in my vineyard too. And it's, it's near quitting time already. By the time they get there, how much work are they going to put in? Um, and then when they get their pay, um, just think back through the day, those, those, those 6 a.m. workers, the first guys agreed to work for a day's wages. If this, if this owner is paying the 11th hour workers that much, that's not a really good way to do business, is it? <laughs> because he's not paying for a day's work. He's being, yeah. well, there's that word, generous beyond belief. It's an unbelievably generous man who's, who's doing this generous, kind, to the, generous to the point of being reckless. I know we're going to see that in some parables coming up, but look at the heart of the master and everything here um, and recognize, like was pointed out, we're really 11th hour workers. Look at how kind and generous. He, and that's the right perspective. What Jay just got done saying is I look at, look at that generous, gracious God. Um, and that changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron. Uh, going off of that, John, I find it remarkable in the telling of the parable that the one person that you don't hear about any wage connected to the work is at the 11th hour. So the big grand mystery that everyone's wondering is, is what's he going to do here? Uh, and he's, he's so shockingly gracious. Uh, and I, I wonder, when's the last time that, that grace has, has really shocked us? It had to have shocked those 11th hour workers. Uh, isn't that with Nineveh, that God is gracious to who? Uh, people like Nineveh. Uh, God is gracious to who? Uh, like Gentiles who are elected by grace in Romans chapter 6. Uh, God, is, God is gracious to you, or to who? Uh, to you out there in the pews right now and to the man in the pulpit. Can you, can you believe it? Yeah, yeah. Bring home the amazing nature of that grace. Yeah, yeah. John? Just one thing to build off of that. You know, he's, you're right. He says, I'll give you whatever is right. And what does God say is right? We'd say, well, what's right is they should get paid for the hour. 
right? Or we look at Nineveh and say, what's right is, God, you should smite them right now, whatever it might be. And he says, I'll give you whatever is right. And in God's world, in his kingdom, the way it works is what he says is right, is everything we don't deserve. Forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. Just because that's who our God is, just because that's how God operates graciously, generously. Right, right. Well, let's get into kind of how uh, we could apply these truths or what 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 are you praying, you know, through this, the retelling of this parable, the contemplating of the generosity of God, or, you know, on the, the malady side of things, kind of our tendency toward comparison and, and uh, judging based on our standards of fairness. Uh, yeah. What's kind of the main purpose of your sermon or what are you praying the Holy Spirit is working in the lives of the hearers of your sermon as you preach this? What change in attitude, kind of what... Um, what so kind of asking about thoughts for appropriation application that type of thing uh suggestions there for preachers or uh thoughts to get them thinking jay uh, just one thought the well, several but but one to get us started the uh sometimes the accusation uh, about christians from the world is that the reason why we're not more attractive to the world is judgmentalism that that we look down our nose at others and Think about what Aaron said. If we find ourselves amazed by grace, not that God could be gracious to others, but that he could be gracious to me, judgmentalism is really hard. It doesn't coexist in that kind of environment. And and the more that I find myself awed by that, the better a witness I am to others. Yeah. So more the more I internalize that shocking generosity that really bears fruit in my life. Uh, Aaron. I forget where I, I forget where I saw it, but that thought of judgmentalism that we do confess each and every weekend that we will uh, that we believe in the one who will come to judge the living and the dead, and that an unfortunate byproduct of that is that we try and figure that out a little bit this side of that judgment day. Uh, I, I think this parable puts all of that one hundred percent in in Jesus in the Lord Jesus' lap. Uh, and to know that uh, uh, that we will indeed be richly blessed on that day when we come into our inheritance. Uh, but stop trying to get that figured out of who's among the sheep and the goats and, and what kind of points are in what column in, in each person's life. Yeah, right, right. Let grace be the dominating factor as we look out into the world. Uh, John? Yeah, it just that same point is we keep our focus where it's supposed to be not on the situation of others um, not how that compares but our focus is completely on God's grace to us how desperately we need that boy that's going to just change the way you look at others the way you treat others now now you're not a Jonah sitting on the hill waiting to watch Nineveh be destroyed but when Nineveh repents you got a heart like God's heart because he's changed your heart and you rejoice at that. You've got the care for the lost, even the lost who are just so blatantly against our God and everything he says, but that you would have a heart of God for those people who says, shouldn't I care about those people that I made and I created, even though they've gone so far away from me. And we'd say the same thing. And we'd say when someone like that, that seems so far gone or the 11th hour Christian, Christian repents, that we would rejoice in their salvation just as much as we would rejoice in our own. Our own. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron. I, I think of how this became a, a very practical point uh, at one of the churches that I served when the congregation was trying to, to make 
a bona fide effort at reaching a, a multicultural neighborhood, um, that was really tough uh, for Goodwill's Lutherans that had went to catechism when Coolidge or, or FDR was president, that they love in theory that thought of going to Nineveh, uh, but now that kind of settles in, you know, we really are going to Nineveh. Uh, and that, that, that means that we who have been working since sunup um, need to deal with this in, with grace and with thanksgiving and simply rejoice at those that are found in Nineveh or are found at the 11th hour uh, and to know that uh, life in the body of Christ is, is all the richer. Uh, there is no first, there is no last, that in, in Christ we all are members of one body and we all have our part to play. Yeah. Yeah. Jay? Maybe a, a shift in thought there too, uh, even just in interpersonal relationships, the way that we interact with one another, how often isn't it triggered by what the other person says or does? And and there's a certain amount of fairness or justice that, that you know, somebody says something that snipes at me, I, I, I try to snipe, it's just natural. I try to snipe back. I try to even the score or one up the situation and, and, at some level, I think that plays in at our, our sense of justice or fairness or self-protection. Uh, if, if we come at these, these uh, come into these situations or, or the, 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 the part that we're bringing to the situation is, I'm not trying to see what I can get out of it, but, but like God has done for me, what can I give? Um, how can I bless? How can I show grace mm -hmm. uh, in this situation? Uh, how how will that change the world in which I live? How will that change the relationships that that are around me? How might that uh, bring something unique to the life of somebody else who's hurting? Because um, so much of life, uh, those that are hurting hurt others. If I can bring healing to that hurt rather than adding to it, uh, what kind of a change could that bring? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this perplexing, astounding generosity. If I, if I, having received it from the Lord, could share that, um, yeah, what an impact that could have. Um, great. Uh, any ideas for uh, themes that you're working with um, that you might suggest to preachers to get them uh, thinking, even if it's not kind of in finished form? Uh, any suggestions, Aaron? I'm a liter. I'm an alliteration man. I went with another day, another denarius. Okay. <laughs> um, John, um, just building on that concept of the fairness or the justice, you know, justice or generosity. Do you want? Do we want God to be just um, or generous? And I think that could that could that's an illustration that could tie through the whole sermon with the idea of well, what we think of justice. I mean, you know, there's an example of, you know, the kids splitting up M&Ms, but that continues for adults too. You know, we, we think of, you know, what's fair to us in the workplace or, you know, how another employee gets treated or another family member, things like that. And then what's really, what's really just when it comes to who we are and, and what we've done. And then ask that question again, that we'd be careful to never say, God, I want you to be just, I want you to give me what I deserve, how scary of a thought that ultimately is. But that I'd rather plead. I want to. I want a gracious and generous, generous God. And how much better it is that uh, things in God's kingdom don't work the way that we, in our fallen nature, think that it should. Right. So justice or generosity. Uh, Jay, another idea. Uh, 
the the accusation God's not fair, you know, that, that's kind of what predicates or, or or what what brings about this parable that there's there's not fairness in this or what what's there going to be in it for us? God's not fair. You're absolutely right. And then um, I, I feel like the parable, in some ways, Jesus is kind of doubling down on the idea that God's not fair. So he's not correcting it as much as he's saying, "Yeah, let me show you how unfair he is," but in a way that completely blows blows up your your thesis. And and to what degree does that help us maybe get down to the roots of the way in which we mistakenly try to see life or or do life? And and does that help maybe un, unearth that so we can plant something new in its place? Yeah, yeah. Great ideas. Uh, I I think I've used as a theme something like God's mo. Um, you know the way the way God operates. This parable just seems to me to to be. Um, just great in addressing that. Like if you want to describe God and how he works in the world, what are some characteristics, you know, you'd point out. And I think generosity has got to be, you know, great gospel characteristic you can use to illustrate um, uh, God's character and kind of the way he operates in the world. Um, one other idea I'll share, I think I, I, I preached on this text Um and I don't know if I strictly followed it, but uh, the Eugene Lowry, Lowry Loop, if you've uh, worked with that homiletical plot, his book, um, it's basically, it's not very complicated. It's kind of, you state uh, a, a problem at the beginning of the sermon and kind of follow through on how bad this problem is. And then you kind of pivot toward the gospel solution. So I think I, I started out by, you know, identifying with the people at the end of the parable who are upset at the landowner's generosity because it's not justice it's not it's not fair um and just delving into yeah we we are upset by that often but then kind of uh, and i think maybe john or somebody else referred to it already um what happens if you really press that and really insist that god gives us what we deserve and what we have earned um well uh, or jay's uh, the story from the hospital visit too reminds me of this is that really what we want? Um, actually, if if God were to give us what we deserved, well, we we think in terms of paying us back for all the good things. What if He paid us back for all the the, the sins as well? And so you know, the turning point in the sermon is: Well, what if God doesn't operate that way? What if He just used a different standard, and that standard was His generosity? And that leads to you know proclaiming the gospel, and then the consequences that flow from that. So, uh, Aaron. Yeah, when it comes to that generosity, I sometimes think we kind of downgrade grace, we downgrade the denarius just a little bit. Uh, for me to end on a gospel note, the thought of that um, he gives me his son, and in giving me his son, he graciously gives me all things. Uh, what more could God possibly give me than he's already given me? Um, I uh, shy of making me into a fourth member of the Holy Trinity, there's, there's no more grace to give uh, than that which is, is perfectly gracious in the person of his son. Yeah, yeah. So just that note of generosity, bringing that across um, in all its facets, a uh, beautiful opportunity to do that. Well, any concluding thoughts before we wrap up today? Um, if not, let's, let's close for the day and turn it over to preachers now to work with this uh, perplexing generosity and uh, the gripping story that Jesus tells to bring us into that world and experience the grace of our Father. God bless you, preachers, as you work with this, this beautiful text. <laughs>